This podcast is a presentation of University of California Television. Like what you hear? Consider making a donation at uctv.tv slash donate so we can continue to bring you more great programs. We want to uh, delve into the making of this film and all that informed and inspired uh, Del Zamora and the, the team. So uh, with that, I want to just... Uh, ask uh, the, really the, the most important uh, question is, why did you make this? Why did you make this film? Well, I'm from New Mexico originally. I'm born in Roswell, which everybody may ask me if I'm an alien. <laughs> and when I, we moved to Albuquerque, and my mother, who I just mentioned earlier, um, my father left when I was five, and I had two sisters, newborn and one and a half. And my mother raised us, worked a full-time job, and got her B.A. summa cum laude from the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. And they got her MFA, summa cum laude, from Sacramento State. So my mom was like a hero to us, you know, to my sisters and I. And she would have got so mad, because I was a straight-A student, that in 1969, when they had killed Ruben Salazar, there was a big protest in Albuquerque at Lincoln Park. And my friend Robert Marquez and I (laughs) rode our bicycles there. And our moms would have killed us if they'd have known. And we came right upon it. And we, had, we were always afraid of cops. We were always afraid because they, they loved lording it over us. They loved, like, scaring us just to have fun, driving by like that and looking at us. And we, were, and we came around a bend, and these black berets, which are the New Mexico version of the brown berets, were turning over two police cars <laughs> right as we came around the yeah. corner. And we were, I remember we were a little worried because they have guns, right, the cops. But there was, like, 500 gente... And there was like 20 cops. And they realized, well, that's like 120 bullets. <laughs> and then we're dead, right? Because they would just shredded them apart. And it was the first time that I ever saw policemen afraid of us. Like they were, they were backing up and the cars were being turned over. And, and they, had, they had their guns, but they realized like it, this could go really bad. And I was <clears throat> short. I was always really short as a kid. And I remember looking up at these black boys and they're yelling like, Man, these guys are like Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> like these guys don't have any fear at all, you know. And, and uh, th- so that always struck with me. And then, of course, my mother was reading Malcolm X and, and Soul on Ice because she was in school, right? So I would read the books, and and the, the Malcolm X really hit on me a lot because the one quote about who teaches you to hate you yourself, who teaches you to hate the color of your skin. You know, who you are. You, you're not born like that. Someone teaches you to have self-loathing about that. And in our community, we do have a lot of self-loathing. I mean, because they're constantly hammering us, hammering us, hammering us. You know, and, I, and they also want us to assimilate, but we'll never assimilate because Mexico's right there. Mm-hmm. See, the Italians and the, the Irish and everything, there was a whole ocean that separated them. So their culture could never reinforce themselves. So they were for a couple of generations, and then they were able to sort of join the assimilation, and that, that'll never happen here. So um, when I, the, the real reason why, I got lucky. Um, Jose Luis Valenzuela, the original director of the play, called me and he goes, Del Zamora, como estas? And he's from Mexico City. And I said, muy bien, que estas haciendo? He had directed me in a play with Trinidad Silva, you know, rest in peace, Trinidad, one of the greatest Chicano actors and greatest souls ever. Uh, he was on Hill Street Blues for a lot of years. And he said, Del, we have a play that won the contest in East LA at Plaza de la Raza. 
The Last Angry Brown Hat. It's about the Brown Berets. Come read it. Now. So I went there, and Mike Gomez was there, Richard Iniguez, and Sal Lopez were there. And they gave it to me, and it was 12 pages. And I go, ¿Qué es esto? I read it. <laughs> he goes, it's going to be a play. And I was like, well, it's a mess, bro. It's, he goes, well, you know, he, I said he never studied theater, so he doesn't know the structure of theater. He, goes, he knows movies. He wants to be a movie. And so he, he said, Del, I always remember this, Del, I need the greatest Chicano actor who's also crazy <laughs> to play this role. And I, and I was like, oh, I like that. So we then workshopped the play, turned it into an hour-long show. It toured the country. We played the Smithsonian, Yale, Notre Dame, Harvard, John Hopkins, UC Berkeley, UCLA, USC. Um, but the, unfortunately, because there's very little... Um, any, very little product for us where we're the leads. Ben Affleck plays Tony Mendez in Argo. You know, there's very little, very few projects. So because of that, there was a lot of bushwhacking of, care, of, yeah. the, of the cast, and I'm the only one that remained from the original. Um, and, and they tried to get rid of me, too. And that's part of the problem, too, that I think we face, is that there, we, we have so little, and when something comes of value, then we fight over it. Well, the good thing is that the film did get made, and I, I do want to ask you uh, a little bit more about how you describe your inspiration, because you talked about the superheroes and superheroines who are part of our everyday life. Yeah, mother well, and, 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 and the cholos out there in the street wearing a beret saying, get out of my body, Chota, you ain't going to be doing this anymore. So th- we're gonna get, I, I want to ask a little bit more about the the roundedness of all your characters because they're very believable and real. But right now, let's, let's, let's back up a bit, and I want to ask you about what you learned about the Berets in making the film. Um, well, I had always been interested in them. I was always interested in standing up to the system, too, because when I was a kid, once I was in fourth grade in Flora Vista Elementary, and if we spoke one word of Spanish, we were spanked. And the name of the school is Flora Vista Elementary. You know, it's just absurd. So um, I was playing with Billy Ray and Johnny Smith, and I was like, and and he goes, I'm Superman. And Billy Ray goes, I'm Batman. And I go, I'm Spider-Man. And Billy Ray turns to me, he goes, you can't be Spider-Man, you're Mexican. Peter Parker, Bruce Wayne, Clark Kent, not a Mexican amongst them. And they both laughed at me, and I was a smart kid. I always was this little smart, so I always had a comment, and I didn't have any comment. And I went home, and we were real poor, but I'd get my cousin's comic books, and I started looking at them, and I was like, we're nowhere. And if you really look at the history of the media in this country, we're nowhere. Or like I remember uh, the, uh, the real McCoys. God dang it, Papina, you messed up again. Get over here. You know, and oh, Senor McCoy, I'm so sorry. You know, it was always subservient, or it was, you know, I'm the, I'm the river, river, river. You know, the raton, and I'd be like, what is the raton, you know? I mean, I love Speedy Gonzalez, but can we be something else too, you know? So it always bothered me, and I think that's why I, do, that's why I was interested in being in, the, in to try to change it. And I'm glad I didn't know how entrenched it was, because yeah. <laughs> if I didn't know a lot of things I knew, I probably wouldn't have tried to do this business, or I would have tried to go to Europe. Well, so, I, but, I mean, you've, you're in over 200 films, right? 278 so, uh, so, speaking so, roles. So, no, you have made an intervention, to be yeah. sure. But the Berets, um, to answer your question, yeah, on, on yeah. the Berets, what I, what, what I learned was that I never quite understood why the government considered them so dangerous until I realized that ideas are dangerous to them. 
ideas of equity, equality, you know, having our teachers teach us instead of, yeah, remember the Alamo. You know, they always say, you know, oh, get past it. No, get, you know, that's ancient history, the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but remember the Alamo and you guys teach it. So they, they don't even know, the system doesn't even realize how Eurocentric it is. Yeah. They have no idea. And so that was the thing that I thought, I understood that, yeah, there were radical elements of the Brown Berets that were doing, but you, 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 you get tired. You get tired. You've had it. So you're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to raise some pedal and we're going to burn and we'll blow stuff up and we'll do whatever we got to do to get you guys to stop doing this because we pleaded with you. Our parents have kowtowed to you on their knees and you're still not good enough for you. We fought in your wars. You set us up to fight in the wars. And it's still never enough. It's still never, you know, and oh, go back to Mexico. And, and then Mexicanos were pochos and here were Mexicans. And so it's, it's you know, so, so I realized that the Brown Berets, and that's why I wanted to do the movie, because ideas are probably the most powerful thing. And, and uh, so you're attracted to the, the cultural nationalist component, right? The self-love and the defiance and the, and, and the rejection. But you also in the past have talked about their code of ethics. There's a specific code of ethics. It's almost like a mafia, but a, a little less destructive. Um, but you've also in this film uh, explored really complex uh, issues. And, and, and I was hoping we could talk a little bit more about that because these characters, uh, the main four, uh, really the five, uh, uh, the deceased uh, este Frankie himself, all eventually reveal a, a, a quite a huge level of complexity. And it isn't always clean. So talk a little bit about... Uh, your decision to go to substance abuse, homophobia, all the sexism. Uh, you don't just give us a, a, a brown-washed, as it were, uh, portrait that is nostalgic and romantic. There's some messy issues. So uh, talk a little bit about navigating that. Yeah, well, when we did the play... We would talk to the students afterwards. We did it at a lot of colleges and high schools. And they would say, why do you blame us? <laughs> and I thought, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't want to blame them. It's not their fault. It, you know, it's, it's the whole setup. As Jojo says, it's so big. Um, and so I've always wanted, I wanted, I tried to convince my partners that were in the play with me that I could make the movie and they would just laugh at me because they I know you think you can do everything. You can direct and produce and write. And just stick to acting. And I would go, you guys are so wrong. I know what to do with this movie. So to me, the, if, if I, can you imagine the movie without the flashbacks? Because that was the movie for till last August. We shot the final. I've been working on this movie for 11 years. We shot the garage with the four guys 11 years ago this August. Because it's self-funded. There's no money. And then everybody sees me on TV. And with, even with the 278 speaking roles, this is going to hurt you guys. <laughs> My average income is 16800 per year. Because when Ben Affleck takes Tony Mendez, he also takes all the money. And the rest of us have to work for the minimum. And we're in small roles because they don't let us be the heroes. 
See, like there's this, there's this weird thing in, in American society where they have to be the heroes no matter what. Even if it's Tony Mendez, no, we got to play it. And there's this weird, like, dude, don't you, can anybody else shine? No, it's us. And we must be powerful. So I, I, I'm trying to, as much as I can, to, to counter that. But also our community doesn't see movies as art and as societally important. They see it as entertainment. And that's a big problem. Uh, I have a lot of black friends, and when people talk about a movie, they go, who's in it? And if there's no black people in it, they don't want to hear any more about it. But our kids don't even think like that. I'm going to go see Spider-Man 28. (laughs) Transformer 72, I hear it's good. We don't think, and so I even tell them, I said, don't you care? And they go, no, man, I just want to have a good time. But that's also part of the problem, because we went... Think about if you're Hollywood and you make Argo with Ben Affleck playing Tony Mendes, the hero, CIA, so it's not so much you and our, our hero, but the hero of the story. And we buy tickets to it, which is what happened. So why, if you were, the studios are going to change? They have us. Well, let me, let me ask you a little bit about that and how, and I want to mention uh, uh, something that uh, really struck me as profound and aesthetically innovative and at the same time politically incisive and that is your uh, there are two scenes where the youth break the wall and that becomes testimonial cinematography because you immediately address us the audience is no longer the audience I'm thinking of Augusta Ball's uh, theater of the oppressed where the spectator becomes a spect actor you're in this film now. You it's don't interactive. Just get, yeah, so that was a very... In, talk a little bit about that. And, um, and, and to do that, uh, first off, I want to introduce, because we have two of them here. Okay. okay David Rangel, All who right. plays Frankie. Right there. Stand All up. All right, there you go. Man. And Jessica Figueroa, who plays Anita. All right, yeah. Well, they did a great job. That was Fantastic. a great job. Yeah. And, you know, and, and this is where we get, you know, the, the whole genre of testimonial uh, literature and, and, and film is about uh, demystifying. It's about calling out the processes by which we become indoctrinated as, you know, to then participate in our own subordination, right, our own oppression. And this film did that. I mean, it reminds me of some scenes in Spike Lee's uh, early films where he would break that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great technique. Used it very effectively. So where did that come from? Who decided to do that? I did. What happened was I, I, I would talk to people all the time. I would say, you do realize we fought for this country. My, my grandfather's brother was in the U.S. Army in World War I. I had two uncles who were paratroopers. That's really the story. That poor mm-hmm. scene is the story of my people. My two uncles were paratroopers in World War II. Okay, in fact, my Uncle Albert was there at the liberation of Dachau. Okay. Then my, my Aunt Bella's husband, Juan Flores, was in the Korean War, United States Marine Corps, and my dad was in Vietnam. And then I had all these cousins that were in the Air Force during all these Gulf Wars, and some were in the Army and Marines. And I'm, I always thought, like, where are they fighting for? We don't get, like, I'm making 16-8, and I'm considered one of the top Latino, and I'm half Apache, and, and they show me on the list, on, on Latinos that are alive, I'm um, 58th 
which is pretty good. That means like he's reliable, he's good. I'm not, I don't get all the Google searches that you know Danny Trejo gets, but and then and then on the native on the natives I'm like number 28, right? So I'm the success story, and look, and I kept thinking, what are they? What are what are my people fighting for? Like it doesn't seem like there's much equity here, right? And then again, I'm pro-immigration, but Mexicanos come here and then they do really well, and they look at it, well, catching a thrive, why don't you work harder? You know, they don't understand, like, like, oh, como si, pocho? They beat us when we spoke Spanish. No, como que? You know, they, it's hard for people to understand how it was and still is, like in Texas. I mean, look what they're doing in Texas. They want to, they're going to, this movie would not be shown to the colleges in Texas and in Florida. They'd go, no, you're not showing that. That's CRT. Well, the best thing that can happen is if they ban it. So right. you better so hope that's for that. What, yeah, yeah, that's what we. So, because yeah. so, that's you know that would be yeah. some good press. But let, let, let me. Uh, but, let, but let me. Oh, let, good, let, let me let me do about what I think is really cool about because you said why did I come up with that? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've been in a lot. I've seen a lot of movies, and we're, you start pulling for the heroes, right? You're like, come on, Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. And and you can't help it. That's the movies. They're that way. You start pulling for the heroes, and I was like, well, we're the heroes. In this movie, we're the heroes. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we have an audience and we have Ras in the audience and we have Anglos in the audience, and I'm not trying to demonize anybody, Anglos, but I'm just saying the Anglo society has always been very oppressive to us. And then you have images on the screen that advocate for Rasa. Because when they say, why do you hate us? Rasa knows, you know that they're not talking to you. <laughs> you know who they're talking to. And Anglo people know that they're being spoken to that way. But, but they're, yeah, but they're also talking to Rasa that are homophobic, and that was a really right. important intervention you made as well to recover the queer uh, uh, legacies of the Movimiento. You reminded me of a great dear friend of mine, Greg Barrios, who was in the Movimiento and the queer Movimiento. Uh, and he had his, all his writing is intertwined. You can't separate the two. Right. And nobody really knows about him yet. I hopefully people will start studying his his poetry and his his teatro. Um, but he was in the factory with Andy Warhol and in the streets in East LA right. and in Texas too. He was at Crystal City. Right. Uh, he was involved in that whole takeover of the city there and the, and the school board and, and and such. So this is a very important intervention you're making because you're also telling you're also telling Rasa why do you hate queer folks. You know, uh, and that was a big intervention. Where did that come from? Uh, that was originally in the play. Uh, it, was, it was originally in the play. I, I think the, the playwright, Alfredo Ramos, that was important to him. And um, I'm LGBTQ friendly, always have been. My mother raised me to not hate. Um, so having to play the ignorant one, yeah. <laughs> you know, I also I felt like, well, it's your responsibility. Well, you did, you, did it, you did it well. You did it well. Respons- Unfortunately, unfortunately. Yeah, and the yeah. same thing with the sex scene. I was like, well, it's your responsibility. You've got to do this, you know. Uh, yeah, and so, because uh, so, the other thing is, I'm, nothing, I'm going to be honest with you. You couldn't have a movie about brown berets, and the only time that any sexuality is brought up or depicted only gay, it just, it would be... They would be certain aspects of the brown boys that are very macho that would come out. It would after. be dishonest. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That and so I, yeah, I, yeah. I said, well, this sex scene kind of inoculates that, so let's do that. Which is a weird thing. Like, okay, we're going to inoculate ourselves here with a sex scene. But uh, no one directs a movie in a vacuum. You always are, have, affect people that you're telling the story about. Well, uh, you know, if I can jump in here, there's a lot of layers of, uh, of different ideologies at play and different forces at play. 
And what you're, what you're talking about is, is, is a lot of different cultural nationalisms, right? So let's, let's uh, consider that. You know, we mentioned uh, uh, the, the series of, of scholarship that Dione Spinoza did on, on Chicana Brown Berets in East L.A. and two books that David Montejano did on the San Antonio, Texas chapter. And uh, both of them deal with the ideological uh, uh, dissensus, the disagreement. So you had the nationalist capitalists and, and you know, some quasi-socialists and then communist internationalists, all within that same organization in different chapters. And sometimes the same chapter would have that. Um, one of the things that comes out uh, in those studies and also in this film and also in what you're talking about is... Uh, the the uh, uh, internal contradictions. So, uh, for instance, uh, there was a great spread in the L.A. Times about how one of the Chicano Brown Berets who had participated in the occupation of Catalina Island is now a prominent Republican, unabashed, ultra-capitalist, and a Chicano nationalist at the same time. Montejano, in his book, talked about how some of these fools, they're mostly gangsters in, in, in the San Antonio chapter, wanted to break out of prison, Fred Gomez Carrasco, he had taken over the prison and helped him get to Cuba and start an insurgency. Uh, and I met some of those guys, and they still think like that. That's for real. Uh, uh, so there's such, that, such a huge range. I was wondering how, uh, if you can wade in and, and discuss how that is uh, informing the film and how the film brings out different aspects of that. Yeah, that one, the main reason I wanted to do the flashbacks was that I thought, okay, everybody here has probably had puppies, right? And so when they're little puppies and you play with them, their teeth are so sharp. They, they little bite ah, bleeding like for two days, damn, right? And, but when your dog gets older, he can nibble on you and his teeth have been worn down, right? They're not as sharp anymore. They're, they're not as baby teeth anymore and everything. And that's how I saw the old cast, they were those old dogs, and their bite didn't bleed anymore. The bite didn't cut. And so I thought, it's hard for people to see the movie, because you showed the movie without the flashbacks, and people were like, it's great, it's wonderful, it's everything. And I go, no, we're not finished. Because when we show them young, those teeth cut. And there we see Jojo's radical, the one that went to Harvard and married the Anglo woman. He's very radical. He's like ready to burst. Right? And you don't see it in the garage till finally he gets really mad. They, they kind of goad him into it. And then we see that uh, he does have that rage in him. He, he is, he's still that guy. He just has sort of buried it, buried it, buried it, buried it, and successfully was able to kind of keep it down. And all of a sudden, and that's why he's in the garage and he gets mad after his flashback. He goes, this place. Because it, it brought him, and he was like, I don't want to do that. He didn't even want to really go. You know, but it's his obligation. And, and also about the, uh, it's there when you look at the movie, the, the ethics of, of who they are. Uh, they're like made men to each other, right? They're not supposed to touch each other. They're not supposed to even disrespect each other. And if you remember, Rude Boy goes, you're disrespect, disrespecting me, better sit down. Should... And then he grabs Rude Boy. And you notice Rude Boy, remember, he has a knife in his pocket, right, from cutting the lemons, right? And Rude Boy's not a punk, but Rude Boy, he goes like this, and Rude Boy just gets him off him, he throws him, and then Rude Boy doesn't do anything. But in Rude Boy's mind, you cross the line. You cross the line. Also going to kill him, that's crossing the line. You're not, under any circumstances, yeah, he shouldn't be messing with the woman, that's crossing the line, but yet you're not supposed to return that for that. It's not to be tit for tat. 
And, but that's the faults of the characters. That's who they are. They're real in that way. And that's why Rude Boy at the end, when they go to hug, he's like, that. I'm going to go get some beers for the road. And he's ready to leave without even saying anything to him. And when he says, Rude Boy, and he catches him at the door, because the way Rude Boy is like, you put your hands on me. So you're not a real brown beret, because I'm a real brown beret, because I didn't do nothing to you. you know? And so he gives him his back. He goes, yeah, what? Just take care, Karna. And at that moment, I always thought, because you know, I was directed in the play to come back to him. And I always thought, why do I go back? And it wasn't in the play. He just went back and says, take care, Karna. And I thought, this is my chance to redeem Frankie. Because there were people that served time. They just wouldn't talk. The, the informant said, Carlos Montes is running the show. And Carlos came in and he's, you know, not going to cooperate. Okay, well, you're going to, you're going to Fed prison. So that my thing was like, you know, Frankie served time so that the rest of us could have our lives. And then the tear comes because he doesn't, he doesn't even want to hug him. So he pulls him in and then he hugs him and then he cries. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a tear of um, why, why can't we all be together? Why can't we all just push, row together, struggle together instead of... It's almost like we, we love to fight each other instead of fighting the system. Sometimes, uh, as painful as it is, internal ideological battles do need to get hashed out, and it's not—it's never pleasant. Sometimes, very ugly. We're going through this now, at a moment uh, where there are such things as Hispanic-serving institutions, which means there's 25% of Raza, mostly—it's mostly, it's mostly uh, uh, Chicana, Chicano, Chicanx people, but not exclusively. A lot of Central American descent people as well. We're at a moment where there is a large and growing raza middle class. There is a lot of ideological issues that come with that. Sometimes those, those issues have to be hashed out. And that's what I appreciate so much about that. That garage was a microcosm of, of the, the evolution of a movement into an a, a ideologically complex space that is so... Dangerous, but so necessary to 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 hash out. Even if it makes us enemies, unfortunately, with each other, sometimes you just, you know, things need to be uh, uh, argued. Great that that in this film um, they did have that bond of caring that was from the, their formation, that it kept them still together, even though they've gone a lot of different directions. And uh, that's one of the, the strengths that I see in this film. It's just, man, there's just like, in these five people, uh, the, the main actors, uh, there's so much variation. It encompasses everything. And then when you get into the house in this gender stratified space, it gets even more layered. And then you even break down some of the, uh, uh, the boundaries of of how we have reified race because there's one one weta just perfect span speaks better Spanish than I do yeah you know so so I'm saying this is there's no you know that, that there's no binary structures here I really like that and only only I'm 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 thinking it's as complex as, as a couple of scenes in Spike Lee's uh, Jungle Fever they're just really breaking things down and 
in group. It was just wonderful, wonderful scenes where some of the mujeres were talking about colorism and you know dating inside and outside of the community, you know, uh, dating within uh, genders, etc. Um, so yeah, so I, I do have to commend you for that. Um, is there anything else uh, in the film uh, that you would like to uh, accentuate? Uh, what do you think makes it unique? Well, I would ask people all the time, why did the Brown Boys form? And it was always general. Police brutality, bad education, lack of opportunities. And I go, but there were, was there a catalyst? Was there one thing? Because I knew what it was. And I would um, have Apache, so I would ask the American Indian Movement the same question. Because those three groups were formed in the same year. Mm-hmm. That's not by coincidence. The Black Panthers, the Brown Berets, and the American Indian Movement were formed in the same year. Right? Why? And, uh, and the country's done a good job of hiding tracking. That basically, even though our parents paid for all the schools, just like everybody else's parents did, that... And remember, they thought black people and native people and, and Barasa are monkeys. Remember the thinking of the 60s. They're not smart. They're going to be prostitutes and they're going to be stealing and we got to give them a trade. Damn it. And, you know, they could, they're not smart enough to go to college. Come on, man. That was really how they thought. So even if you were the valedictorian, as her character says, um, and, and, but you have to send in a photo. So that's how they'd catch the black people. Collins, and they go, oh, he's black. Kick him, no. You, oh, he's the valedictorian, we don't care. Right? And, and, and the same thing with us. Ramirez, kick, well, she's the valedictorian, we don't care. And you can, the proof is there. You can look at the, at the student roles before that, and you'll see we're not there. And even though we paid for it, but worse off, and Sal Castro, who was the teacher, was the one that identified that they're setting you up by making sure you don't go to college and telling you auto shop and metal shop and wood shop, then you're going to get drafted. And he was fired for telling him. And then the parents showed up and they had to rehire him. Right? But see, like, telling the truth is bad. That's why, as it says at the end of the movie, 5.5% of the population, that was an undercount, but let's take their numbers because that's what they want to do. And 22% of the casualties, well, how did they do that? They did it with tracking. So I wanted to explain that because even when they did the walkouts movie, and I was like, why are they so wussy about that? Like, what's the, why, why don't they tell the truth about that? Because that's a hateful thing to do to a people, to take their money, make sure their kids, because they're always saying, they're taking our money and taking it to their kids, redistributing it. No, that's you, cabrones. You're the ones that have always historically done that. You know, and I love Jojo, who named it Los Angeles? My people or your people? Like, I, I used to get tired in New Mexico. I'd go, who named it Santa Fe, man? Was that you guys? Like, why are you, why are you always acting like we're the foreigners, you're the foreigners? So, anyway, so that was pretty much what I, what I really wanted to do um, was to just, I thought the most important thing that flashbacks would do was explain tracking, and I thought the second most important thing was to explain that we fought for this country. You know, I just want to end by, by saying that this film is entertainment and much more. It is really a complex educational experience, a spiritual experience. I went through a lot of different emotions through many scenes several times. So it takes you for a good ride. And I, and I think that you do leave with hope, but also some understanding that, damn, we got a lot of work to do. A yeah, and I love all of you. Do. Thank you so much. Yeah, so thank you all for being here. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. 
For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.